Welcome to the Defense and Airspace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Today is part four of our six-part series on multi-domain command and control sponsored by Ultra Intelligence and Communications. Joining us is United States Army Major General Dustin Dusty Schultz, the Director of Strategic Operations G3, 5, and 7 at United States Army Headquarters, the woman who is at the crossroads of the Pentagon's and the Army's top priority effort to develop a joint all-domain command and control system. General Schultz, Thanks so very much for joining us. It's an absolute honor and pleasure. Fago, it really is my pleasure to be here today with you to discuss this important topic. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure and, and important indeed. Before we get started, Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. As I mentioned, Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage and our coverage of the Air and Space Forces Association's annual Aerospace Warfare Symposium was sponsored by GE Aerospace, Leonardo DRS, and Helicon Chemical. And our coverage of South by Southwest was sponsored by Bell uh, and Leonardo DRS. Uh, Ma'am? JADC2 remains uh, the Pentagon's top priority, and, and once, once something is the Pentagon's top priority, it is also an Army priority, but was organically something uh, that the Army has been working on for some time, shaped by, the, uh, by Iraq and, and Afghanistan, and how to develop a better, uh, more effective battle management uh, system uh, for the future. Uh, as, as you know, we, we spoke to Brigadier General Jeff Valencia from the United States Air Force on the program uh, recently. Uh, who, you know, outlined his services approach uh, and what lessons we can learn from history in terms of solving what is a complicated joint service problem. The, the Army has been continuing uh, its experimentations across technologies and operating concepts uh, under the aegis of Project Convergence. Uh, and in a sense, there's also a tug of war within the Army about what's needed, how best to deliver this. From, from your standpoint, who's standing at this crossroads, um, what's the army? What's the vision the army is settling on to try to eat this very large and sometimes somewhat unpalatable elephant? Yeah, thanks for that that question. And it is um, it's a really important question because as we move forward, uh, we we really have to acknowledge that each of the sister services within the Department of Defense, and then even with our partner nations. Uh, we have to look at the problem set uh, from the capability that we represent. And the Army obviously represents the ground force and the ground soldier. Uh, but what, what are we hoping, what are we looking for uh, joint all-domain command and control to look like? Or as some would say, the coalition joint all-domain command and control to look like. Uh, and what is its purpose? Uh, its purpose really is to help us get decision dominance and to have leaders within the mission command arena to be able to make those decisions at the appropriate scale. And at one point we were talking about um, sensor to shooter and see, think and act. Uh, but as we refine and define um, join all domain command and control, we have to really um, take it in steps in time as we look at scope and scalability, as we modernize our force, as right now we are looking at the core capabilities that's going to enable 
decision makers at scale, so at the operational level, you, you referred to things like Scarlet Dragon. Um, so at the operational level, how can we have those leaders see the force, communicate with the force, influence decisions, close the decision-making gap because we are looking at technology. And as you have, and I have also discussed uh, the cognitive ability. How are right. we re-looking our thinking models to move faster and further? Uh, we, some of the things of the army have absolutely not changed in thousands of years. And some of the things of the army have absolutely changed in thousands of years. Uh, when you look at military history and you go back and you wonder why uh, we used the phalanx. Uh, and then you look at how militaries propel forward. Technology is often the instigator of cognitive change of how leadership works and also how systems interact. And what we're trying to articulate from an army perspective and truly from a joint perspective is that we have to be able to be more agile in our cognitive capability to be better connected so we can have decision makers have that decision dominant space and equally as we look at our future going forward whether it's ai and ml how are we appropriately integrating that into the decision making cycle so our leaders are freed to make other decisions to make other movements to support the force and our coalition. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it, it does make sense. So I want to drill a little bit uh, deeper into that. Um, the uh, approach now is, yes, we understand uh, JADC2 uh, is an important thing, right? Uh, Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall was the one asking, what is it we really wanted to do and, and what needs to get connected and how was sort of the fundamental question. And there is a little bit of parallelism because the services are working on their own individual approaches. J6 is working its approach. And now increasingly, and I want to get to it, you know, before we started talking is uh, we started talking about Scarlet Dragon and Scarlet Dragon Oasis, which is a CENTCOM uh, Air Force Central Command and, and NAVCENT, an increasingly NAVCENT initiative, uh, right? So the combatant commands are also getting in this game uh, that program is roughly about six months, uh, six months old. L let me ask you sort of the fundamental question, right? How, what, what, what to connect and how, because each of the services have discrete challenges, right? You have millions of radios on your side. Uh, the Navy has fewer radios, for example, you know, the Air Force is sort of in between. From, from your standpoint, what are the biggest connectivity, right? What, what needs to get connected and how from an Army perspective to make this uh, the, the success it needs to be. Uh, that's a great, that's a great point. And I would also say, I so appreciate, uh, secretary Kendall's voice. Uh, he and our secretary, um, secretary Warmoth, I mean, she, she has driven us to become a, a data centric army. He has articulated about the time is now and we're late, uh, understanding at what level, uh, do I someday have a dream that every a soldier on the ground has this system that's connected to, um, you know, all the way to the strategic level and we can, you know, see each other like something out of a Star Trek movie, that would be grand. But right now, we, as we modernize our force and push it forward and we look at the operational level, it's really critical that that operational leader can make decisions and push them down uh, to its formation and its um, 
its uh, various uh, elements that are working for it, as well as push back up to our joint and coalition partners. Now, you talked about Scarlet Dragon. That's another key thing is um, Scarlet Dragon is uh, an experiment. And the Army started with Scarlet Dragon being an experiment. And uh, I, I should, and then it turned into an exercise. And so Project Convergence is truly an experiment in nature. Scarlet Dragon is now more our exercise in nature that feeds uh, Project Convergence and Project Convergence Next. Uh, the other interesting piece is that we have been able to take their experimentation to the exercise to the front of where we are doing uh, combat or uh, various operations. And so our, our teams have been able to use uh, capabilities to be able to see the experiment, see the things that are of value, move it to the exercise so units get the sets and reps and decision makers at the core and the operational level can really um, decide how to, to move and shorten timelines. So decision-making timelines can move from 12 or 24 hours to 12 or 24 minutes uh, to shorten that, to then be able to execute upon it. Um, and really, as we alluded to before, we're talking about leaders and their cognitive ability to make a faster decision because they have the data in front of them and the connection of the systems so that information doesn't have to be air-gapped. It doesn't have to be, as one might say, the old-fashioned swivel chair of like, here's my Excel spreadsheet. What do you think about it? Um, you know, I, I'm a little lady in combat boots and I came from a time where we had acetate and pens and the, <laughs> You know, and You're a grease you pencil generation. I am. And I am so thrilled to see us now be a generation where the things I visualized as I was, you know, mapping out the board and showing where the enemy was can now be transferred in seconds, milliseconds, to then be acted upon. That that is power, but the real power is in the decision makers being able to have that decision-making dominance. Uh, and, I, I, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Well, and, and so I really believe that as we move ourselves forward in modernization, we have to get after what are those core functions within mission command. And, and that doesn't mean that we add 25 more pounds to the soldier on the ground. It means that someday, yes, our systems are going to be more compatible than they are today. And the transfer of the information to achieve decision dominance is going to be more fluid. But right now, we're looking at the scalability of that and those core functions of to see, think, and decide. And we're, we're focusing on the core and the division level as an army, as we modernize, as we are theater-centric and focusing on our three primary um, focus theaters, as we've been told to do uh, from the Joint Staff and the National Defense Strategy. Let me, uh, you know, you uh, alluded, and I want to get to the, the cognitive uh, part of this, uh, right, because we're looking at 
greater uh, queuing. You know, it was interesting. You were talking about grease pencils, right? I mean, I think that people's vision, uh, many people's vision of, of what command and control looks like is like in the movies where you're just, you know, pulling up the sat feed live and everybody's interconnected to it as opposed to fat fingering it with three phones to your head, an Excel spreadsheet behind you. Uh, and, you know, you're on nine chat rooms to try to make this uh, happen. We've made enormous progress. Uh, and yet everybody recognizes, right? I mean, this is why we need to get to the next generation of this. The, so the question is, how much of this, uh, General Schultz, is a technological problem? How much of this is a, a concept of operations, tactics, training, and procedures, right? Uh, because that's one of the things that General Valencia and I discussed was, you know, it, this is not necessarily as big of a technological issue as it is a how we're thinking through the problem and prioritizing it and drawing from history. What's that balance from your uh, standpoint of what are sort of technological overlays, right? I mean, we can't afford to buy every radio in the army new, although there are, there are some folks in the business uh, who would love that. Uh, ultimately, what's that balance between technological uh, advancement, but also just changing how you do business to get to better outcomes? Vago, I think you're spot on in, in, you know, bringing up my friend Spaniard, uh, and and he and I are in violent agreement. Uh, yes, this is this is more of a cognitive issue than it is a technological challenge, and the cognitive issue includes the the heavy, strong relook at um, procedures, protocols, tactics, techniques, and procedures. The, you know, it includes leaders at scale being able to rethink the paradigm of what is acceptable. You know, I, I go back to, we have a paradigm now that when we travel throughout the world, we can pick up a phone and make a phone call to whomever we want to, whether we're in civilian clothes or in a uniform. I, I will tell you that some 35 years ago, that that wasn't the case. And when I lived abroad, you know, that was that was an exception to be able to be in another country and call back to the United States. Uh, and so technology is evolving and it's there to enable us. We have to be smart about how we're using technology. We have to be threat informed. But this is leaders recognizing that we have to change our processes and equally the guidance and directives that we are giving and acknowledging for our formations at scale. So we, whether it's information sharing with partner nations and how we do that, how it's information sharing uh, with our sister services, understanding that there are a lot of um, concerns to make sure that we are um, also, as I alluded to, being threat informed and wise about how, how we share different uh, information with, with different people. I understand that there's a need to protect information, but there's also a need to be able to, to move this information swiftly. If our banks of the world can move financial assets throughout the world in different currencies on different systems, you know, we, we all can look over and go, okay, technology is going to get there. It's going to leapfrog. But right. is our cognitive capability to rewire some of our industrial age models and how we work through things? Are, are, are we willing to also be more agile and adaptive 
to how we do that and support our leaders and how they think in doing that as well. Uh, so uh, what are the things that, you know, you, you mentioned uh, your cooperation with General Valencia. Um, what are, you know, th this evolution of JANC2 has been going on for a while for those of us who've been uh, covering it. At first, it was the Army and the Air Force that were working more closely. The Navy was the one that was kind of off on its own, doing its own thing. Uh, as, as one Navy leader once, once said, you know, we'll cooperate in this insofar as our equities will allow, sort of like where the programs uh, are. Uh, now the Air Force and the Navy have sort of grown together, and the Army uh, appears to be sort of doing its own thing uh, a little bit at, at, the, at the moment. How are you all you know, and, and what it is that you guys are doing now seems increasingly to be sort of in parallel support to what J6 uh, has, has been working. How are you working together? What are the ideas you're pulling from one another? There isn't a time that I'm not talking to somebody, uh, you know, Army, uh, whether at Futures or elsewhere, who's saying, hey, the Navy is doing this interesting thing, the Air Force is doing. So you guys are really working together. Q High Note is... Uh, a high ambassador uh, on this in pointing out the good stuff that everybody's doing from an Air Force future standpoint. Talk to us about what is it you're pushing, pulling, learning from one another as you build this, uh, both on a conceptual level and a technological level. And you know, it's, it's really welcome, uh, General, that you keep talking about allies, partners, and coalition, because that's how we're going to fight. And there was a concern even from some senior folks at NATO that we were kind of going to go streaking off in our own direction on this. And yet they too, uh, through uh, SACT, for example, uh, the uh, 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 Alliance uh, uh, Command Transformation, Allied Command Transformation, excuse me, has been working this problem as well. Talk to us about what it is you're drawing from your sister services. What is it you're drawing from allies and partners as you try to help build this sort of foundation, right? Because the Army's side of this will be the backbone for any land force, just like the Air Force one will be for Air Forces and Navy one will be for Naval Forces. Absolutely. And so, for example, uh, when I had the good fortune to go out and, and visit Project Convergence, which was a great experiment that brought in our coalition partners and brought in all the services. Before I did that, I went out to Indopaycom and um, had conversations with leaders there. I had conversations with USERPAC. Then I came back to Project Convergence and had conversations with our coalition partners and our sister services. And we looked at those things that we needed to tease out that experimentation is just that. What is working and what is not? And if it is not working, what are we taking back to make sure that we're, we're fixing? And some of it is, as we're alluding to, the, the technological, sometimes it's the network backbone. It's um, so, but a lot of times it's, um, whether it's security or just different ways on how we do uh, utilize um, and push our data, it's more appropriately, so what are some of the authorities that we're allowing uh, ourselves uh, to be stuck with versus really giving it a critical look and, and fixing some of those authorities, not, not temporary band-aids, but permanent long-term fixes. So as, as we align to our theaters, unify the, the network and see the experimentation and see where we're not making the connection points. See where uh, also um, when we sync up, whether it's with the Space Force or with uh, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, our coalition partners, oh my goodness, this wasn't something we considered. This isn't something that, you know, when it's, 
I'm trying to um, bring it back to the common tongue of, of what we use. When right. you recognize that you have a power cord that won't plug into a wall because, right. you know, you know, oh, but so-and-so has a converter. How, how are we looking at that with our data and information and our processes? And then also working through how we want to, to have that decision-making as we go after coalition sister service engagement, you know, not the army's not trying to be the Navy and the Navy's not trying to be the air force. I mean, we, we need to work and collaborate together. So the good news is, is as JADC2 propels forward and the joint staff really brings together a unified vision that's enabling doctrine, it's enabling decisions, it's enabling policy, and it's giving strong directive. And we're, once again, these things don't just happen overnight. Uh, the good news is, is we have the coalition of a very willing Department of Defense and coalition partners. We recognize, we see uh, that we are in a world uh, that has a lot of threats out there. And we have to be smart about how we move forward to protect our nations. Uh, so with that, um, I, I would say that- um, Let me uh, take oh. you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, and I would just I, sorry, say that, I, I thought I thought you'd stop. So three, two, one, go. Well, and in that regard, uh, whether it's experimentation, but I would also say the exercises that we're doing now, Scarlet Dragon is now an exercise that is part of our Indo-Pacific uh, way forward and part of Project Convergence experimentation. So experimentation exercises are they exclusive? I think one feeds the other. Uh, they have different purposes, but we we cannot uh, be fearful of the experimentation uh, not working. I think you need to fail and you need to fail fast so you learn fast. So then you can build the solution sets that are long-term and enduring. One uh, frustration, I, I just got back, uh, and you and I briefly discussed this before we got started. I just got back from Austin, which is home to Army uh, Futures uh, Command. It was great to see General Rainey down there uh, as as well, uh, in, engaging in the sort of rich defense innovation ecosystem that exists down there. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's hard for many people to believe that this sort of film and music conference actually, you know, the first three days of it is sort of defense and aerospace. Uh, related, which is uh, which is which is fascinating. But one frustration uh, within the army, uh, and was expressed there by former and current futures command folks as well, is that the army really may be overstudying this problem. Uh, industry has complained about this that it's one network integration exercise after another, it's one project convergence round after another, one experimentation package after another, as opposed to, as the saying goes, snapping the chalk line and sort of moving forward. And you're trying to balance all of these equities and tensions uh, that, that, that exist to try to get that ball to move, move forward. What is it that you guys are doing? Are you guys moving out as quickly as you need to be moving out at this point, right? I mean, is, experimentation is always important, but you can also have sort of death by data and death by study. Where, where are you in the process of actually starting to move the ball and move the ball more quickly uh, down the field, even though I'm not necessarily as fond of the football analogy, but there you go. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I probably go more with the rugby analogy because it's kind of messy. Uh, that being said, uh, I, I think that 
Yeah, we have to remember that um, we started this process and it was a little messy and it still is a little messy, but uh, the good news, and as we move to our project convergence experiments, we're mo moving to project convergence next because uh, the spin was uh, pretty quick. We also had to, in that, that was a learning process for the Army writ large and our coalition partners and our sister services. We all engaged in that. And, you know, honestly, our nation is in the process of becoming data literate. And as we do that, it's not going to be clean and easy. Now, you're right. That spin, you know, that it's kind of like the initial spin up of, of, of the learning. Uh, I think that uh, with General Rainey at the helm, we are now pausing and, and being a little bit more methodical. And as you, we look over to ASALT, we have Mr. Young Bang and team really trying to tether those capabilities into getting us not only the systems, but also then linking into TRADOC and getting our thinking cognitive models back in line. So sometimes you need to you know, move out quickly, do a lot of experiment and, and really understand where you're going, how, how you're moving, and then also understand, okay, we're, we're a bit spread thin, but now we have a, a large population that understands us. And I would right. say that we're going to, for generations, carry forward the need to really be data literate and understand. It's not just something the secretary is saying, it's really where and how we need to move forward. In, indeed. Um, let me, um, you already uh, mentioned uh, the role of Scarlet Dragon. And so now I want to ask you a little bit of the kind of experimentations and thinking that are going to be necessary to sort of change how we think. Um, as, as you know, uh, uh, last week we talked to uh, the chief of the Royal Canadian Navy and uh, he talked about uh, the, the role of artificial intelligence, automatic decision-making uh, in a hypersonic age, noting that, you know, and, and realistically, you know, today's weapon systems uh, do uh, have an ability to respond and make a lot of decision decisions on their own. So it's kind of a little bit of a misnomer that somehow uh, the systems we have today do not do automatic queuing, targeting, uh, and, and warning. From your standpoint, what are the mental changes, right, in, in, the extraordinary series, you know, one of the things the Army is really good at is studying problems on a human level and then extrapolating, okay, well, what does that mean, right? What does decision-making under stress mean? Uh, how do we do this better? From, from your standpoint, what are the things you're learning that will shape what the machine does and what the human does ultimately? Because in any Pacific scenario, you mentioned being in the Indo-Pacific, in a hypersonic weapon age, long-range precision fires, it's a different ball game from a volume standpoint, it's a different ball game from a defensive standpoint, it's also a very different ball game from a strike standpoint. How are you gonna be working this in a decoyed, denied, perhaps mission command environment where uh, you know, Major Schultz is, is back to using her grease pencil? And grease pencils aren't bad, and I, I, I think there's some, some goodness in uh, being brilliant on the basics, everything from using an old fashioned fashioned uh, compass to grease pencils. Uh, that being said, I think what this is doing and having AI and ML is, should be, in my opinion, um, driving, as I alluded to before, 
data literacy, understanding, making data-centric um, decisions that are not just on a gut or on something that you feel or uh, because as we work forward uh, in our engagements around the world, we recognize that it's just not only the kinetic um, challenges that we're facing. We're, we're facing a lot more in the information domain. Uh, you know, we look at Ukraine and see what uh, they have done as a nation in the information domain in uh, really understanding data and truth uh, to, to move us forward. To me, that influences the cognitive domain more than anything. Uh, I think the Greece, um, the Greece pencil individuals are going to be able to have trust and faith uh, in the data that they have. But at the same token, they have to go back to old fashioned basics. So they know that those decisions when they are stuck with you know, a lack of power and only acetate and pens, that they, they can make a data-based decision uh, that is for the benefit of the organization. And I take exactly the point you're making, right? I mean, you don't want to be reduced to that grease pencil uh, uh, environment, but yes, I mean, ultimately it may depend on a compass or radio in individual initiative and mission command, right? I know what my boss wants to achieve and we're going to achieve that objective at such and such time, uh, whether, whether or not we, we have the connectivity or not. Ultimately, what, what, what are you learning about that line of what, decisions can be automated and what not, right? Because this is now suddenly a volume problem. The, the, the systems are going to have to, right? I mean, in Iraq and Afghanistan, we had an ability to look at something, sometimes look at something twice uh, b before we did things. Whereas in this case, everything will be moving uh, in, a, in a much more violent, much more kinetic uh, in environment, both defensively and offensively. Have we, have you, and has the army determined what that boundary is for what can be automated uh, reasonably, ethically, responsibly at this point well, in, in terms of decision-making? I, what I would say is the answer is yes and no, because I think we're always going to be reevaluating that. Uh, I don't think that um, you could just say, well, yeah, we've decided and th this can be this can be automated and this cannot. And I think what leaders are also recognizing is why, while you can use AI and ML, um, decision makers in the loop uh, is still needed. You know, humans in the loop is, is still needed and required. And so as we look at different capabilities at scope and scale, um, the, the requirement is um, that we have regular reevaluation of that. Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, an all stop every day on every process, which, but we need to absolutely um, dig into that as we are trying to refine our ability to sense, analyze, and assess our adversaries' operational um, actions, intentions, and environment. And, and last question, how do you assess where our adversaries are uh, whether it's, I mean, the, the Russian Russians maybe are a little bit clear in terms of the command and control lessons and, and exactly almost a case study on how not to do it. But when you look at China, what are, what are the things that either worry you or interest you about how they're trying to do this? 
because again, it's a nation that does have a lot of cutting edge technology, has made AI and machine learning and greater automatic weapons, right? I mean, we, we may not want to be on the receiving end of, of AI weapons used irresponsibly. It appears that they may be a lot more comfortable with that outcome maybe than we are. When you look over to our potential adversaries, what are the things that you see that are most noteworthy, interesting, and are shaping your thinking? Well, I think I think that's that's a problem that we've. I, I mean, kind of, we, we've alluded to this. Some of our problems are um, enduring problems. Uh, when uh, the nuclear um, bomb was kind of developed, and we then got concerned of our our adversaries and not having the same. Uh, respect for for human life and uh, individuals. Uh, you know, th those are things we need to get really concerned about. But I would also say that, yes, they're developing weapons. And as, as a military, uh, we're going to respond uh, to our uh, politically appointed leaders and the direction that we're given there. But one of the things that concerns me is something that I, I, I can't control, which is often outside of the military construct, which even has more power is uh, whether it's economic and uh, informational and diplomatic engagements, um, some of our threats and adversaries are, are moving in that space. Um, they're moving in um, literally outer space, which does not have as many um, international guidelines and norms that are restricting some of the engagement. Those are things that um, kind of keep me up at night because uh, I, kn I know the army and the military and our coalition military partners are really moving forward with these things. Uh, but I think we have to give credence uh, to the other elements of power and um, support that as well. Ma'am, thank you so very much for being so generous with your time. Truly appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to continuing the dialogue and best of luck uh, to, to you and the entire uh, Army team and joint team that are uh, working this. Absolutely critical work, and we really appreciate you uh, spending time with us. Thanks so much. Thank you, Vago. Appreciate it.